We are in session five of what will be a, I'm not sure how long, series. And we've changed the title of it three or four times. Here's the working title for As of Now, Tools for Finishing Strong. So it, it's born out of this idea that people are aging, and when you talk to them, what they want to do is finish strong, which almost everybody says, well, what, what does that mean? Give me some handles. And, and I, and I kind of want to just keep repeating this. It's never too late to start this, but it's never too early either. This is actually a great series if, if you've got some kids or grandkids or you're 25 or 35. This is a great series for you to be going through. And we started with the, with the idea that um, we need to see life in a different perspective. It really, from God's perspective. So we began by saying we need to establish the Bible as the final authority in our life. We aren't as smart as we think we are. Most, most people, there's a kind of a buzzword now, self-aware. Everybody wants to be self-aware, which is fine. But, but what I've discovered about self-aware is I'm not very good at it. I can judge you, but I don't do such a great job judging me. In fact, the only person that I'll give the benefit of the doubt to is me. I tend to be more critical of you. So I need to see myself accurately. Well, the way I'm going to see that is in this Bible. The Bible tells us, and and we might sometimes gloss over the second part. The first part we know. The Bible tells us about God, who He is, creation, all that stuff. But the Bible tells us about us. If you really want to understand yourself, and if you want to understand the world around you, you need that Word of God. You're not as bad, perhaps, as you think you are, or you're worse than you think you are, but God's Word's going to show you that. Then the, the obvious next step is, I need to keep learning. Not just the Scripture. I am amazed in my own life as I read the same chapters over and over again, and I see stuff that I, I'm positive somebody got a hold of my Bible and added these verses since the last time I read it. I know that wasn't there. Wished it was, thought it was, but, but I didn't see it before. But I need to be learning. I need to be learning in the world around us. So we, we said, we don't know how we measure it, but knowledge doubles about every five years. And, and the latest kind of guess, and I can't even, I don't even know how you measure this, is that knowledge will begin to double every, with, because of a computer, every 12 hours. So, so think about all of that information. So I need to be learning. You know, I, I, I wrote the other day, and it seems like this should be a blog. Uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, 
But that's okay because I haven't learned the old tricks yet. I mean, I just need to keep going back to them again and again. Here's the third thing, and we looked at it last week. You need to make decisions now that are based on this word. You need to make godly decisions. There was a wonderful guy that used to come to the PL study. His name was John Wootenberg. Did any of you know Wootenberg? Amazing guy. He is in the uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, Old Timers Hall of Fame. One year for the 49ers, he played every play on offense and every play on defense. He was this amazing guy. And he was kind of, he was, he, he was a gruff guy. And he said to me one day, and I thought, that's really cool. He said to me, everybody I know needs a guardian. What he meant is, we make bad decisions. So I want to make good decisions, godly decisions. And some of them are pretty simple. You know, who do I date? Who do I marry? Those are pretty simple because the God gives us guidelines. And if I stay within those guidelines, then I'm absolutely free to do whatever I want to do. I make decisions all the time that I don't really have to think about. The light's red. I don't stop and pray about whether I should stop or go through it. I mean, we know this stuff. Last week when I finished, uh, Randy Murphy, and Randy was here. I didn't see if he was here today, but Randy gave me some helpful stuff. Oh, there he is in the back. And it was on the root cause of all sin. And his basic premise, and this is really good and ties right into today, is that all of sin comes from either doubting God or depending on myself. Isn't that good? I either doubt God and what he says, or I'm trusting myself. I'll stay in control. And so decisions get made on the basis of what I want to do, not what God says I should do. That's really good. Uh, Randy's involved with Call to Obedience, and his, his material, he just sent me a a book the other day of the material he's done. It's great stuff. But when I saw this, I said, this is incredible because you see the down cycle. I either doubt God or I trust myself. Here's number four. So here's the topic for today. Let's be kind of live life confidently. Live life confidently. Now, we need to be careful that word because we can think cocky, arrogant, that swagger. Uh, I always, I, I, <laughs> this is probably not right, but I always think of my grandson Yale when, when I hear cocky. Um, he's got this, and he's had it from the time he was a little kid. He's just got this thing. I, he was in third grade. And the teacher called Haley and said, I want to meet with you after school today. So, of course, the assumption is, especially if you know Yale, that something's wrong. So Haley went in, and the teacher said, look it, he's just way ahead in math. So I want to move him to fifth grade math. 
And Haley said, well, can he do that? Yeah, yeah, he'll be able to do that. So they move him up to fifth grade. Well, I hear this. I can't leave this alone. So the next time he's over, I said to him, now all this is in real time. I said to him, is math hard? And he says, I'm sure it is for some kids. (laughs) Not him. He was playing a game. I only got to see one game this year. And he plays up sometimes. So he's 11, just turned 11. He's a small 11, and he's playing with the 13-year-olds. And so he's up, and he knocks a ball out into the gap, stops at second. So he's at second, steals third. And Brian Berger is his coach. So Yale's at third. The third baseman is huge. And I see Yale, and Yale's just looking up, and they're yapping, and I see Brian start to laugh. I said, well, what are you laughing at? And he said, this guy came over to Yale and said, you are so small. How old are you? You know, said 11. And he said, wow, I'll bet you don't have another double all year long. And just like that, Yale said, I'll bet you five bucks I do, and I bet I hit it off you. <laughs> I mean, it's just... And, and if you know, and I know how that sounds. Sandy thinks it's cocky. Uh, I think it's cute. Uh, I, I wish I, frankly, was had a little more of that. But but it, but it makes a difference. I'm not talking about cockiness. I'm talking a boldness that comes from understanding that I've been saved by grace through faith. And I have a relationship with God that can't be broken. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will continue it till the day of Christ Jesus. He started the work. He began it. He brought you into his kingdom. And nothing's going to separate you from him. Nothing can pull you apart. Look, if if you have Bibles... Uh, Turn them to Romans chapter 8. And there's just a great chain in there that if you're ever having any sort of doubts or questions, it's just a great picture of how solid our relationship is with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know that verse, and we know... So this is a fact. And we know God causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know this, that everything works out. I, ha- I have this thing where, it, and it kind of annoys me, where people say, everything will be fine. Well, how do you, how do you know that? In the ultimate sense, for believers, and look at that verse. That's not a verse for everybody. It's for those who love God. For those who are His kids, called according to His purpose. You're His. So then Paul begins to contemplate that reality. And he he says this in verse 35. What will separate us from the love of Christ? That becomes a key phrase. You see it again in verse 37. You're starting to annoy me now. (laughs) 
What will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We could unpack that, but you see all the subtleties of it. Okay, Verse 37. For in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, so you need to remember this, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Now that pretty much covers everything. Because everything other than God is a created thing. Nothing can separate you from his love. And in my original study Bible, I wrote my own name in there. Even I can't undo this. I I was teaching one day, and this this phrase just came out, is God stuck with me. Uh, 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 He's just stuck with me. And, And I don't mean along as a partner. I mean he can't get out of this, but he wouldn't want to. I'm in a relationship with him because he began it. He knows us. So the, the handout that, that you have talk, talks about salvation. And, and, and I want to start in the, in the third paragraph. Please note, salvation is God-given, God-driven. God empowered, God originated. The gift is not from man to God, but God to man. Grace is created by God and given to man. On the basis of this point alone, Christianity is set apart from all the other religions in the world. Every other approach to God is a bartering system. Those of you that became followers of Christ at an old age, older. Some, some of you got very long looks on your face. At an older age, you, you played this game for a while. You made and broke a thousand deals with God. I'll do this, if you do this, if you do this, I'll do that. There's no bartering. If I do this, God will do that. I'm either saved in this other system by works, what I do, emotions, what I experience, or knowledge, what I know. Here's the summary paragraph. By contrast, Christianity has no whiff of negotiation at all. Man is not the negotiator. Indeed, man has no grounds from which to negotiate. This is why doctrine is so important. My, my relationship with... I'm, not, so I'm being autobiographical here. My relationship with Christ was radically changed. I, I was a believer. All of a sudden, as I began to study, I began to see what we call the doctrines of grace, the sovereignty of God, the work that He did. And there's great freedom in there. Because I realize now my relationship with him is unique among every relationship in the world. 
every other relationship, the person, the entity, will ultimately disappoint you. It will let you down. Brett Kavanaugh let you down. Christine, whatever her name was, will let you down. The Republicans are going to let you down big time. Democrats are going to let you down. They're not even going to get you up to get you down. <laughs> the independents are going to let you down. Redemption Church is going to let you down. I'm going to let you down. But with God, it's a unique relationship. Part of that letdown is expectation. God knows everything there is to know about you. Everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought, that can be a very scary proposition. But think about the opposite of that, how secure it is. He knows all that, and he chose you anyway as his kid. He did that. So now we get to our point is I can live life confidently. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of its strength. Another teacher writes this, All anxiety is rooted in the need to be in control. That gets right back to what Randy was telling me. This idea that I'm going to depend on myself. Well, not only are you not in control, you're out of control, but you're under God's control. So you can live life free, confidently, boldly, without fear. Uh, I enjoy watching golf because I can turn it on, fall asleep, and wake up for the trophy presentation. So that's about, about what happened. And the guy that I love to hear do the commentary is, is Johnny Miller. And part of what I like about Miller is he'll have a, a guy hitting a shot, and Miller will say this, here's what he's thinking right now. I remember one year, there's a kid playing at TPC, Sawgrass, it's 17, it's the Island Green. This kid's in the lead of the tournament. And, and Miller says, <laughs> the winning uh, prize, dollar prize, for this tournament is more than his lifetime earnings. We've got a picture of the green, but he doesn't, all he sees is water. He said, this thing is going to go in the water so far. And I'm thinking, wow, that's too bad. And this guy hits this thing. He doesn't come within 100 yards of that green. It's in his head. What am I thinking? Well, for us in this world, we tend to be afraid. And what God is saying in his word is, you don't need to be afraid. In fact, it's the number one prohibition that's given to us in the scriptures, do not be afraid. Why? Because the world's not scary? No, it, it really is. 
Don't be afraid because Jesus says, I have it under my control. So I made a list of, I think I have seven things that people tend to be afraid of. And you could cut this list down or expand it. But you'll see that in all these cases, Jesus is the antidote to this. So, so the first thing that, that most people tend to fear is death. Peter's delivering this incredible sermon that's recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. And I won't read it all to you, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, the man who attested to you by wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, that crucifixion wasn't an accident. That was part of God's plan. It's not that he had a plan and it failed and, oops, Jesus got killed. No, that's part of his plan. In fact, he says, second half of verse 23, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But here you go. Here's the payoff pitch, verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death. It's the resurrection. I, uh, I noticed that we had a couple of weeks where the word bombshell was used all over the media. Here's a bombshell report. Here's a bombshell news. Here's a bombshell this. And then it would be something, and then it would probably not be true or only half true. Here's a bombshell. Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know what game changer is, but that's a game. All those words, nothing is more of a game changer, bombshell, than Jesus rose from the dead. And he put an end to the agony of death. Not the, not the physical agony. We're still going to suffer. I, I've, I've sat through with a lot of people who are in the process of dying. Sometimes it's peaceful. Sometimes it's excruciating. So it's not the physical agony. I would suggest, even on that basis, there's probably many people who have had more agonizing physical deaths than Jesus. The agony of the cross was not the whipping and the nails. It was him taking on your sin and mine. He put an end to the agony, that meaning the uncertainty of what happens after we die. What's next? Many of you know Mike Notham Sr. He was a a guy who was instrumental in in really establishing East Valley Bible Church. He came to me one day and said, I have a piece of land in escrow from the RTC, if you can remember those good old days, and it's 22 acres with a lot of front in John Elliott, and uh, I've got it in its worth X, I got it in escrow for a fraction of that. If you want it, I'll sell it to you for the church. 
And I said, okay, and it's, it's this site. So we made some sort of a deal where he sold us part and kept part, blah, 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 blah. Then one day, I'm sitting in my office, and Les Taylor comes in and says, here's what we got in the mail today. We got the deed on the property free and clear. Mike gave us that. Now, he'd be embarrassed if I told you that, but he did. He used to come, and, and he would say to me, I, 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 I don't get this. We're in the middle. There's an old song we used to sing, Let the Walls Fall Down. And he would say, we're in the middle of a building project, and you're singing, Let the Walls Fall Down. This doesn't make any sense. I said, well, <laughs> you might be missing the meaning of this. And before we had police here, it was a mess on Sunday morning. And he would come in and he would say, I'm sitting in that car. I can't stand this. It's driving me crazy. I hate all of that. But I love seeing what's happening. And Mike got sick and sicker and sick. And I got a call that he was in the hospital. So I went to see him. And and he 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 had uh, we wanted to do a one on one so we had a conversation and Mike was a tough guy but he had this smile I'm not, I don't know how to I'd never seen anything like it before it was just as he beamed it sounds almost like a cliche. And he said, the doctor told me that when I go to sleep tonight, I'm not going to wake up. I don't know how they know that stuff, but they're always, almost always right. And I said, so we prayed and we had our time. And he's just smiling. So I go home. I call the next morning. (laughs) And they said, he never went to sleep. He stayed up all night watching TV. And then that morning he fell asleep and never woke up. Now, is he delusionary? No, he knew this. He knew that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That for those of us that are believers, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. And to those of you who aren't, and this is a sad thought, this is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. One third of the American population believes in reincarnation. So here's here's how we've said that. So the phrase is, if at first you don't succeed, die, die again. <laughs> you just keep, it's, it's, if you're old, like I am, it's the Slits beer commercial. You only go around once, so grab for all the gusto. It's sad that I use Slits beer to remember Hebrews 9.27. <laughs> but, but I knew. Tells you my background. So you fear of death. Here's the second one. And we'll spend an entire session on this. Loss of money. Or I've titled it economic insufficiency. 
most of us, though we may say it, are probably never going to lose everything. We're just worried that we're not going to have enough to do what we want to do. And we worry about getting it. I mean, that's what I've seen with money in my own life and in the life of a boatload of people around me. We worry about getting it. We worry about saving it. We worry about preserving it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. He'll hate one and love the other. You can't serve God and wealth. For this reason, I say to you, see how this fits in? Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and clothing? Here's the summary if you want to read through that section. Verse 33, here's the instruction. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Sandy and I were talking about something last night, and I don't remember what it was. And I obviously said something that prompted her to say, you don't need to worry about it. Tomorrow has enough worry of its own. She didn't give me chapter and verse, but I knew it. It's Matthew 6.34. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't need to be worried. I remember there was a lady at church. I'm going to sit down. There was a lady at church, and she was telling me, it was about this time of year, that her daughter was going to get married in May. I said, well, that'll be great. Where are you going to do it? And she said, well, here at the church. But I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's going to rain. And if it doesn't rain by May, it'll be too hot to be outside. And I thought, what a, what a shame. You know, but, that, but that's, how, that's how I see it. I lived a lot of my life. I think I'm better now. I lived a lot of my life thinking every silver lining has a cloud. And all I see are those clouds. I used to joke that the, that, that the glass is not half full but half empty and leaking like a sieve. <laughs> Somehow God takes care of this stuff. God's going to meet your needs. Now, part of the problem is your description of what you need and what God thinks you need might be two different things. So we'll talk about that. We'll do a whole session on that. Here's the third thing that we fear. Rejection. Last uh, Friday and Saturday were my 50th high school reunion. And all I could think of, I, I, I got out the yearbook, and all I could think of is locking people in space and time and, and looking at, at what we were wearing and our hair and all that goes with it. And, and all of those decisions, many of them, were driven by the other kids. What are you going to think about me? Years ago... Uh, Grace Community Church 
ask me the school, ask me to come in and do a chapel for the junior high. And I said to the, I said to the principal, this is not my sweet spot. <laughs> oh, you'll be great. You're great. You're terrific. Well, that's my love language. And, and so I, 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 I said, all right, I'll do it. So I got no clue what to say. Not, a, not the foggiest idea. The night before, I got a call from one of the parents <coughs> saying, I heard you're speaking at chapel tomorrow. I said, I am. And, and she said, what are you going to talk about? And I said, I, I really don't know yet. And she said, let me give you a suggestion. Talk about peer pressure. I said, okay. I did. So I got up. And this group, I, I'm intimidated. Uh, I have no chance. So my introduction was, last night I got a call from one of your parents asking me what I was going to talk about. I told them I didn't know, and they suggested peer pressure. So my topic today is peer pressure. I want to talk to you about how much peer pressure your parents are under. Because <laughs> for you, it's just have your hair the right way or wear the right shirt. But, but they're buying houses, taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to be able to say, my, my kid's at Stanford. And I'm going, well, they must be adopted because they didn't get this from you. <laughs> One author writes this, peer pressure takes full advantage of this need to be accepted. Under the influence of peer pressure, people do things they would never do alone. In many cases, would even prefer not to do. Simply because they want to be excluded or don't want to be excluded from a social circle. This is perhaps no greater example of our need to belong. I, I want to fit in. I want to be one of the guys. You had it, every one of you. When you were in high school or college or at the office, there was a certain clique. You knew. Nobody had to tell you. That was the cool guy. You're not. Those were the smart kids. You're not. And, and so you'll do something, anything, to gain attention, to be known for something. We don't want to be rejected. Well, Jesus is the antidote. We've already seen it. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I know everything you did. I still love you. Here's the fourth thing, and it's, it's really pretty close to rejection. It's loneliness. It's the idea, there was a book written years ago called The Friendless American Male. And, and, and I really think we could now call it The Friendless American. Male, female. I hear it all the time, you know. I don't have any friends. I had a guy come up to me one day and said, will you be my friend? And I said, you know, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I, I said, now, does that mean when we go out to eat, you'll buy dinner? Or what, is, what, is that, what does this mean? 
well, uh, so he'd have, about three weeks later, he cornered me. I mean, cornered me. And he said, you are the worst friend I've ever had in my life. And I said, why? We went on for dinner. I let you pay. What, 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 what? And he had this, I said, I can't do that. I mean, really, how many close friends can you have? How many people are you going to share your heart with? It's just bogus. It isn't going to happen. You see person after person after person who's in a small group, a men's group, and all of a sudden their life blows up. And these people that they've been having coffee with every Tuesday for six years say, I had no idea. Because we isolate ourselves. Here's the antidote. It's Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That word dismayed means to be shattered, blown apart, broken. Here's the fifth thing. And again, it'll be a standalone. We don't need to fear suffering. Not at all saying we won't suffer. But as we've just built the case, all of this, God is with us. And in all of it, he has a purpose. And we know, James 1, 2. And we know that trials and the testing of our faith produces endurance. So this suffering is spiritual aerobics. So when you think suffering, you think, oh, by word association most often, Job. But don't think Job. Think Joseph. He's in jail in the penthouse, he's back in jail. And there's a little phrase, and we'll look at it more in depth in a few weeks, that just repeats itself in there. God was with Joseph. So I, I don't know what you're going through. I know this. It, there's real hurt and real pain. It's physical. It's emotional. It may be spiritual where you're just dry as a bone. I know that. But I go back. He'll never leave me. You have a circumstance that you don't like. God said this. Who made the deaf? Who made the blind? I did. He's not going to lose track of you. Here's the sixth thing. There's a fear of failure. The fear I'm going to fail. I can take all of that trauma out of your life. You're going to fail. The only way you aren't going to fail is to do nothing, which is the ultimate failure. But it's how do I respond to the failure? Let me give you two guys. One's guy name is Peter, and the other guy's name is Judas. And if you think it through, they both essentially denied Christ. Circumstantially a little bit different, but substantially pretty much the same. Peter repents. Peter moves on. Peter's broken. Peter of the Gospels becomes Peter of the book of Acts and a pillar of the early church. 
Judas. His failure drives him deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, in Haley was in seventh grade, and uh, Sarah, obviously a couple years ahead of her, and Sarah went out for student council. She gets elected. Haley didn't. Sarah goes out for volleyball. She makes it. Haley didn't. Now it's time for cheerleading. Sarah goes out for cheerleading. Easy deal. She makes it. The, the tryouts are on Friday. And it used to be in the old days, you tried out on Friday and they posted the results on Monday. And that's just, that's just harsh and unruh and cruel punishment. So I'm picking up Haley. I've got Susan, Sarah, we're picking up Haley. I'm on my way to the airport. I'm going to speak at a World Vision conference. Haley comes out and she's got this long look in her face. And she gets in, and I can see her in the rearview mirror. She's so hurt. She was in so much pain. I didn't want to get on the plane. And I said, are you okay? And she said, I, I didn't make it. So I go. I, I'm on the Queen Mary, I think, which is a Hyatt now. I'm calling House Haley, this whole thing. It was it was brutal. About six months later, I'm at my desk, and Haley comes in and says to me, oh, can you sign this for me? And I said, I, I, I guess, what is it? And she said, it's a release form I need. I'm going to go out for cheerleading again. And I said, Haley, I'm not over the last one yet. I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't do this again. I, I, can't, I, I can't do it. And she said, and I wrote it down, Dad, I can't make the team if I don't go out. And, and the, the, that story is, because I've given that story before, and then I leave it there, and every lady in the study comes up and goes, did she make the team? Did she make the team? The guys are out honking at each other in the parking lot. <laughs> yes, she did make the team. It was a great ending. But it was a great lesson for me. Failure's not fatal. That's, that's what Paul and Barnabas have with Timothy. He blows out of the second or the first missionary journey. Barnabas wants to take him. Paul says, no, he's a loser. These two split up over Timothy. At the end of his life, Paul writes to Timothy... It was John Mark he was supposed to take with him. Paul writes to Timothy and says, bring John Mark with you, for he's useful for service. Here's the last thing. And if I say, guess the things you're afraid of, as a group, everybody will get those first ones. I've only had one guy ever guess the last one. I was at ASU teaching in a... Is a classroom big like amphitheater this guy came in just a he, he he looked like he fell in a tackle box he had stuff hanging everywhere he was he was the least likely guy i expected to get this so i said what are you afraid of he's sitting way at the top 
He says, Remzer. I said, what? Insignificant. I said, I, I can't hear you. He said, insignificant. I don't want to get to the end of my life and have him say, geez, we got to find another fourth for golf. I read the obituaries every day from the Quad City Times, which is my home paper. And I read these and I'm going, I, 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 something tells me I need to take control and write my own. But they'll go, he was an avid hunter. He loved Iowa football. He enjoyed his family. All right. He loved to train dogs. He loved to go to the Friday night dinner at the Knights of Columbus. Is that it? I mean, I got, that's why you name these people, you know, Thurston, Winston, Thompson, the 25th. You know, this name is going to live on forever. The reality is this, and, and uh, trust me, you can book this. After you die, about the third Thanksgiving, they're not even going to remember you were here. They're never going to go, when did, who used to, didn't somebody else used to cut the turkey? <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll do anything to get out of it. He died. <laughs> I want to live on. Well, here's the tip. There's no way that you're going to have significance unless you're involved in significant things. What are they? They're the Word of God and people. They're communicating it. Where's God working? And don't turn this into Mount Everest, that you've got to go and get a passport and a visa and shots. These people are all around you. Now, let me put a bow on this. I think for many people, we believe in God, but we don't believe God. That's the difference. That's what takes this fear away. On Sunday, if you come here on Sunday, this room over here is filled with people. And most of them believe in God. But I can tell you from hanging with them, most of them don't believe Him. They live like it depends on them. They worry about these things like it depends on them. You can live life confidently, not cocky, not with a swagger, but because you believe in God. Yes, but you believe him. He won't test you beyond what you can endure. He'll never leave you or forsake you. It might feel like that. It might look like that. You may have moments that are pretty desperate where you're barely hanging on. But remember, it's not you hanging on to him. It's him hanging on to you. All right, now we got to go. I got this confidence. I can live life boldly. Next week, we pick up right there. Father, thank you for these truths. They're amazing truths. We read them. We understand them. But we really don't live like they're true. God, will you do that work in our life? We ask it of you in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week. I'll see you next week.